Amen? How many glad to be here this morning? Man, I'm glad to be here this morning. I'm glad to be with the church family this morning. Oh, boy. How many ready to get in the message this morning? We're going to continue in our study in Revelation, and we're studying the end of days. Uh, go to the next slide there, Mikey. Or Actually, there's two Mikeys out there. So. Mike. Mike and Mikey are up there, so uh, that'll help us out. Again, if you have any questions about Revelation, the end times, Anything comes up to where you go, I just, I've wondered about this my whole life, or I've wondered about this for a long time. Got questions about it? Can you answer them? You can send them to my email or to my uh, phone number through text message. So, before we get started, let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity we have to dive into your word. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity each week that we get to go now dig into Revelation. Lord, we know that this is not an easy book, that it's a uh, profound and difficult book at times, but Lord, we pray that you would give us clarity, that you would give us understanding. Lord, that you would let it stay with us, that you would um, move in us. Lord, that we would take these words, that we would not just let them go, but we would bring them into our families and our jobs and our neighborhoods. Lord, we pray specifically over this young man, Ben. We pray that you would move in his situation in the hospital. Lord, we pray that uh, whatever the issue is with breathing, um, Lord, you would just move healing power upon his body. Lord, we thank you for doctors, nurses, and all that they do. We thank you for being the great physician this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Last week... We finished up in chapter 6, and we saw, of course, the devastation that is poured out uh, during a portion of the period that's known as the Great Tribulation. Amen? It's not, a, it's not a great place to say amen because there's so much devastation. But we spoke about the various views about the tribulation. We, we talked about the different interpretations of when the rapture is going to take place. And then in chapter 6 we saw the seals being removed from the scroll. Remember that? And each seal is removed. And as each seal is removed, more and more, we see the events unleashed upon the earth. So how many remember we looked at the four horsemen of the apocalypse? We looked at the Antichrist. Uh, he will be a person who is empowered by Satan and will lift himself up as God. We then discussed a little bit, how many, we talked about the mark of the beast we talked about kind of, uh, we'll, we'll go more into detail later on about that. And then in chapter 7, we see what takes place between the sixth seal and the seventh seal. So specifically today, we're going to be focusing on what are known as the 144,000. Go to the next slide. The 144,000. Say 144,000. Now, let's start with Revelation chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. It says this. After these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, and the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. 
And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees till we have sealed, say sealed, the servants of God on their foreheads. Now, the language here can be a little confusing, so we're going to break a lot of it down this morning. Is that okay? What we see here is a few things. It seems that at some point there is going to be great harm and devastation brought to the earth. This is beyond what we've already seen. And when we mean great harm, I mean it's going to be uh, before we looked at the great earthquake, we looked at the seals, even more devastation is coming. Great harm to the sea, the earth, the trees, right? But it seems that there will be servants of God that will be sealed, say sealed, or protected, and that the seal will be on their foreheads. Now, let us be clear in understanding that this is not the seventh seal from the scroll. So, we looked at the scroll, there's seven seals. We are right now in between the sixth and the seventh seal. This seal is not one of the seven. So, um, it is a separate seal that would be a sort of divine protection on the servants, and it will give them special protection from devastation. Okay, so... It points us towards this. God protects his people. Somebody say amen. You say, well, wait a minute. I know so many things that happen to people in this world. Yes, but when we speak of God's protection, we speak of God's ultimate protection of us in eternity. It means that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit as believers. So uh, in the commentary by Guzik, we see verses clearly. So John 6, 27 says this, that uh, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. That God sealed Jesus, protected Jesus. God the Father protected God the Son. 2 Corinthians 1, 20, 21 through 22 says this, now, he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God. Go next slide. And it says, next slide. Is it there? No. Nope. Who also has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Ephesians 1.13 says this. Having believed in, in, whom, in him who also trusted, after you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, say believed, you were sealed, say sealed, with the, with the Holy Spirit of promise. Guzik then goes on to say this. I like this. He says, the sealing of the Holy Spirit is meant to both be a comfort and a challenge to us. We are comforted in that it assures us that we belong to him. We are challenged by it to depart from all evil and identify ourselves with the one we belong to. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. Let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Ephesians 4.30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. How good is it to know that we're sealed by God? How good is it to know that with that the Lord that we are listen, I want to be very clear clear about this. This doesn't mean once saved, always saved. Right? We're not it's not just all oh, right, I gave my life to Jesus, now I can do whatever I want. 
Because there's a lot of people that think that, right? I gave my life to Jesus. Now I can just do whatever I want. And hallelujah. Now I'm free and sealed. And <laughs> That's not how it goes, right? Clearly, we're led away from or called away from sin, evil, and iniquity, right? We're called away from those things. And as long as we are connected to the vine, the Bible says we will not wither and die. But when we become disconnected from the vine, the Bible says we will wither and die, right? So it's not once saved, always saved. But as long as we are connected to the vine, we are sealed. Amen? Amen. So here in chapter 7, we see that God will seal a specific number of people. We've already covered the number. What's the number? 144,000. If you're familiar with Revelation in almost any way, you've probably heard this number at some point in your life, right? 144,000. Now, some people would say, well, is that us? Are we a part of the 144,000? The answer is no. <laughs> okay. Remember, this is happening during the Great Tribulation. This is happening between the sixth and seventh seals. If you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, you're not going to even be around for this. Okay. If you don't, uh, there's a good chance you're likely not a part of this group anyway. 144,000. Who is the 144,000? Verse 4 of chapter 7 says this, And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes, listen, all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Now, verse 5 through 8 tells us that there is 12,000 members of each tribe. Go to the next slide if you would. There's 12,000 members of each tribe. So, tribe of Judah, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. Those are the 12 tribes of Israel. There's 12,000 people, 12,000 men specifically that it talks about, that will come out of those tribes. So, we see this. Let's say it this way. Who's talking? Who's talking? He wants to preach this morning? No, it's all right. It doesn't matter. Oliver's a good kid. When we talk about the 12,000, when we talk about the different tribes of Israel, there's different thoughts. There's different theologians that have different thoughts about who they are, where they come from, all those different things, right? Some may try and claim that these were not actual Jews, but spiritual Jews. We don't see that here. We simply don't see that here. It's, it's interesting to read into that stuff. It's interesting, interesting to try to theorize about that stuff. But it's important, I believe, it's best to look at what the Bible says clearly and then let it be so. Is that, a, is that good? Amen? We have to look at what the Bible says clearly and let it be so. So we simply don't see that these are spiritual Jews, but actual Jews. From the tribes of Judah, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, Benjamin. Amen? They're coming from those 12 tribes of Israel. Now, there are some groups that would claim that they are a part of the 144,000. They would be called Jehovah's Witnesses. So Jehovah's Witnesses for years claimed that they were part of the 144,000. Jehovah's Witnesses is a cult. Okay, let's be very clear about this. Jehovah's Witnesses are not a part of the 144,000. Interesting about this is, without getting too deep into it, they claim that between the resurrection of Christ and, until 1935, 
that only 144,000 were worthy enough to go to heaven. Only 144,000 are worthy enough to go to heaven. Now, after 1935, they believe that should they die, and this is what they believe today, that should they die, they will not go to heaven, but they will take part in a future earth through eternity. Okay, so they don't get to go to heaven, but we have a second door prize for you, and it's earth. So uh, I've said it before, and I would say it again. It would stink to be a Jehovah's Witness in 1935. And they get to 144,000, and you're the last, you're like the next one up. They're like, dang it, we just missed it, right? So let's be clear. These 144,000 are Jewish people that will be great witnesses of Christ during the tribulation. So again, for those who may hold a pre-trib view of the rapture, it would seem that these believers come to Christ after the initial church is taken. So during Revelation, during the tribulation, they come to Christ and they are great witnesses for Christ in all the earth. So what else do we know about the 144,000? To understand that, we have to jump ahead a bit to Revelation chapter 14, verses 1 through 5. It says this, Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps, and they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who could ha who have been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not, listen to this, who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as firstfruits for God and the Lamb, and in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. So to break it down, here's what we see. In verse, verse uh, chapter 7, verse 4, we see that they are called the children of Israel. In verse 4 through 8, we see that their tribal affiliation is specific. Very, very specific. In, verse, in chapter 14, excuse me, verse 1, we, we see that they seem to be protected and triumphant through a period of God's wrath. God's wrath being poured out, on, poured out on the earth, they're protected, right? They're meeting with Jesus at Mount Zion at his return. If you have never been to Mount Zion, how many have been there? Right? It's an amazing, amazing place. When we talk about uh, Mount Olivet, Mount Zion, Mount Olivet, with Mount of Olives, right? Uh, I've been there. It's a pretty cool place. It's where Jesus is going to return. In fact, here's the interesting thing. There's cemeteries everywhere. There's gravestones everywhere because they believe that Jesus won't come back onto that part because there's so many gravestones. So it's just it's a weird kind of interesting thing, but gravestones everywhere. Uh, so we see the 144,000 will be with Jesus at his return. Number four, Revelation 14, four, they are celibate. They're virgins. They're celibate. They've never been with a woman. It points to a level of purity. 
it's an interesting thing when we talk about them being celibate. I read one uh, commentary that said they wouldn't have time for family. They wouldn't have time for relationships. Everything in their life was geared towards sharing the gospel. Everything in their life was geared towards getting people saved in a, in, in a time of incredible suffering and tribulation, right? And so they had a mission. It was more important than family. It was more important than wives. It was more important than children. It was, this, was, this was their mission. They were celibate. Five, they are of the beginning of a greater harvest. Revelation 14.4. Revelation 14.5. They are marked by integrity and faithfulness. Now, we have a clear picture of who the 144,000 is, but we don't know just yet how impactful they're going to be in that time. To see that, we have to go back to chapter 7 and begin with verse 9. We'll go all the way, and this is kind of a long one. We're going to go all the way to verse 17. So we're going to go from verse 9 to verse 17. It says this, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, say white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Verse 11 says, All the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne, and they worshipped God. Verse 12 saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Verse 13, Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? Now, it's interesting. The elder here isn't asking John because the elder doesn't know. Right? The elder isn't asking him because he doesn't know. He's asking John so that John can understand the importance of who they are. It would be like me saying to this, Hey, Mike, what's with all these people here? Mike, I thought it was just you and me, man. What's with all these people? Well, it's not because I don't know why you're all here. It's to get Mike to understand that it's not just about him. Praise the Lord. Amen, Mike. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I got to see him and ask my hands. What are you doing? I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just playing. No. <laughs> you touched me. Oh, yes. Okay. I got to cover that. Remember? <laughs> um, no. Getting back to it. It's to let Mike know, hey, it's not just about him, but it's about all of us. Amen? So he's pointing to it. Now, uh, okay. So the elder says to John, who are these arrayed in white robes? And where did they come from? Now, John sees all these people, multitudes of people. Where did they come from? And so he's getting John to understand the importance of who they are. And John says to him, sir, you know. So he's saying, sir, tell me, you know. And so he said to me, listen to this. These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. Say, dwell among them. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. Verse 17. 
For the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living water, fountains, living fountains of waters. And God, say God, will wipe every tear from their eyes. Will wipe every tear from their eyes. The mission of the 144,000 is to spread the gospel throughout the great tribulation. And they do so with supernatural protection. Amen? That's cool. They're sealed by God. They have a seal on their forehead. They are protected. What we see now is this tremendous number of people that responded. They didn't respond to Christ before the tribulation, but during the tribulation, they respond to Christ. And we see how God dwells among them then, just as God dwells among us now. How many know God dwells among us? The Bible says where two or three are gathered in my name. There am I in the midst of them. Amen? I want you to think about this that this morning. Think about the goodness of God. I know a lot of times we get focused on all the stuff around us, right? But I want us to focus this morning on the goodness of God. So even those in the midst of great suffering, I mean, the most suffering that the earth will ever entail is during the Great Tribulation. The most suffering it will ever entail is is during the Great Tribulation. But it seems that even in the midst of this tribulation, God sends out 144,000 missionaries to reach these people who have yet to be reached. He provides opportunity. How many glad God provides opportunity when all seems lost? Because that's what he does here. He provides opportunity where all seems lost. He brings them and us to a place where we will neither hunger, where we will neither thirst, where he will wipe every tear from our eye. So God is good and he's gracious and he's gracious not just to us now, but in eternity, right? And so it's just one of the reasons that when we come and we worship, we lift our hands and we lift our voices and we give God glory. How many? There's an old song and it's been out of my mind. And I don't know if you remember the song. We worship and adore you, bowing down before you. Songs of praise is singing, hallelujahs ringing. Hallelujah, 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 amen. You guys remember that song? If you'll stand with me this morning. Jenny and the worship team, if you want to come forward. We worship and adore you. If you know this word, sing it. Bowing down before you. Songs of praises singing, hallelujahs ringing, hallelujah, 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 amen. This morning I asked Jenny if we could uh, just end the service this morning with some more worship. After the service, remember, we're going to have, uh, I'll come back up. We'll, 
we'll have the sound and minister media meeting and all that stuff. But it wasn't a long message this morning. We're just talking about, the, I mean, the, the 144,000 these missionaries that God is going to use to reach people in the Great Tribulation. And so I didn't want to go into the bold judgments and the other, the next seals and all this. I didn't, you know, let's just focus on one thing at a time, right? But let's end in worship this morning. Let's end just giving God glory, letting go at the altar of what is plaguing us. Letting go of what's bringing us down and being lifted up and glorified with God. So Lord, we give you glory this morning. We lift up the name of Jesus in this place. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. Lord, I pray that as we continue to worship you, you would speak to our hearts. You would minister to our souls. In Jesus' name, let's continue to worship you.